I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're going to be reading Job chapters 32 through 34. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. Uh, King James Version of the podcast is available as well. Ending with Job chapter 31, a monologue, which is Job's ninth, began back in Job chapter 26, ran 26 through 31. And his three friends, they don't reply to this one, but a new player does, a man named Elihu. He's angry and he's not taking it anymore. And we get his monologue beginning in chapter 32. So these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now because they were years older than he, Elihu waited to speak to Job. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was aroused. So Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are very old. Therefore, I was afraid, and dared not declare my opinion to you. I said, Age should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Great men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice. Therefore I say, listen to me, I also will declare my opinion. Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasonings while you searched out what to say. I paid close attention to you, and surely not one of you convinced Job or answered his words, lest you say, We have found wisdom. God will vanquish him, not man. Now he has not directed his words against me, so I will not answer him with your words. They are dismayed and answer no more. Words escape them. And I have waited because they did not speak, because they stood still and answered no more. I also will answer my part. I too will declare my opinion. For I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It is ready to burst like new wineskins. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man, for I do not know how to flatter, else my Maker would soon take me away. Well, as I mentioned, Job has just completed this ninth monologue, which began in chapter 26 and ran down through the end of Job chapter 31. Job's three friends have given up according to verse 1 because, as it says, Job was righteous in his own eyes. So is there anybody else that can get Job to admit to wrongdoing? Well, hang on for a five-chapter ride from still wet behind the ears Elihu. As a matter of fact, he's the last one to speak before God actually answers in chapter 38. 
Elihu is a young man, according to verse 6, and up to this point has deferred to his elders, but now he just can't hold back any longer. He speaks and speaks and speaks and, well, and then speaks some more. Actually, he just gets ramped up in this chapter as he justifies why he has chosen to pile on. He's not happy with Job's three friends who have spoken already. He explains that he just doesn't feel that they had expressed the situation correctly. And he's no fan of Job either. Look at verse 5. He's an angry orator. As a matter of fact, since, we, since we're told he's angry as he speaks, I find Elihu's monologue more interesting when read out loud in an angry tone. Just try that. By the way, he reinforces his purpose for speaking in verses 19 to 20. Elihu admits that it is primarily for his own satisfaction, not for Job's benefit. This whole chapter is comprised of Elihu telling us that he's decided to speak out and what brought him to that decision. The incompetence of Job's friends to successfully verbalize Job's predicament. In making a fair assessment of Elihu's five-chapter speech, which seems to follow the same course as the speeches of Job's previous three accusers, it should be at least pointed out that God specifically rebukes Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, those are the ones who have already spoken. He does that rebuking in Job chapter 42, verses 7 through 9, but he doesn't rebuke Elihu. The previous three speakers were even required to make sacrifices as a very formal apology before Job, as um, it says in chapter 42, verse 8, because they have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. However, even though Elihu is likewise disputing Job's assessment of the situation, neither Elihu nor his monologue are mentioned in that passage, chapter 42. That brings us to chapter 33, beginning with verse 1. But please, Job, hear my speech and listen to all my words. Now I open my mouth, my tongue speaks in my mouth, my words come from my upright heart, my lips utter pure knowledge. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. If you can answer me, set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Truly, I am as your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of clay. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. So who is this guy that steps in and takes over? Well, look at verse 2. He says, Now I open my mouth, my tongue speaks in my mouth. I mean, who talks like that anyway? It's hard to speak at all without, I mean, moving your tongue. Here we are, seven verses into the second chapter of his speech, and Elihu is still, well, he's still giving his introduction, having said nothing substantive in 29 verses. Yes, this could be a long monologue, incidentally. Keep in mind, this is written in a Hebrew poetic form. Elihu summarizes Job's monologues beginning in chapter 33, verse 8, and disputes them, by the way, verse 8. Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words, saying, I am pure without transgression, I am innocent, and there is no iniquity in me. Yet he finds occasion against me, he counts me as his enemy, he puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. Look, in this you are not righteous. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend with him? 
for he does not give an accounting of any of his words, for God may speak in one way or in another. Yet man does not perceive it. In a dream and a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men, while slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Well, this is all Job needs. Another order to tell him that he's unrighteous. As a matter of fact, Elihu sums up Job's defense in verses 9 through 11, and he concludes in verse 12 this, Look, in this you are not righteous. Elihu further expresses his assessment of Job's situation in verse 13 when he says the following, Why do you contend with him? In Elihu's mind, Job is resisting God when he defends himself. Elihu is determined to finally get through to Job that this is the wrong approach. Actually, it's difficult to find too much fault with Elihu's assessment in verses 9 through 11. He's captured the essence of Job's monologues as Job has portrayed God as, well, out to get him, so to speak. However, verse 9 is an exaggeration of anything that had been claimed by Job when Elihu accuses Job of having said, I am pure without transgression, I am innocent, and there is no iniquity in me. I mean, Job never actually said that. Elihu had just gleaned that from Job's monologue. Subsequently, as far as his assessments of verses 12 and 13, Elihu declares that Job's wrongdoing is in his responses, as in the nine speeches of Job that preceded this one of Elihu. And then there's that dream thing that Job mentioned back in Job chapter 7, verse 14. That's where Job said, Then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions. Elihu thinks he's on to something when he says in verses 14 through 18 that those nightmares had meaning, actual communications from God. Then Elihu's monologue takes a little different slant, beginning with verse 19. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed, and with strong pain in many of his bones, so that his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food. His flesh wastes away from sight, and his bones stick out which were once not seen. Yes, his soul draws near the pit, and his life to the executioners. If there is a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand, to show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be young like a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God, and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy. For he restores to man his righteousness. Then he looks at men and says, I have sinned and perverted what was right, and it did not profit me. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit, and his life shall see the light. Behold, God works all these things, twice in fact, three times with a man, to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be enlightened with the light of life. Give ear, Job, listen to me, hold your peace, and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Hold your peace, and I will teach you wisdom. Elihu does miss the mark with this assessment in verse 19 when he implies that Job is being chastened. He then suggests that 
He who responds submissively to God's chastisement will regain health and joy. So Elihu simply feels that Job's problems, well, they're based on the fact that he has dwelled on the problem just too much. Instead, Elihu feels that Job should have immediately accepted that he was being chastised, confessed it, and moved on. Now let's pay particular attention to verse 23. He says, if there is a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand to show man his uprightness. Elihu is making reference to those dreams in verses 14 through 18, as he suggests that not only did those dreams have meaning, but Job needs someone to interpret them for him. And in doing so, he says, quote, will redeem his soul from going down to the pit in verse 28. So is Elihu suggesting that he himself is that dream interpreter? Well, notice his words in verses 31 to 33. He says, Give ear, Job, listen to me, hold your peace, and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me, hold your peace, and I will teach you wisdom. It looks as though Elihu has assumed the position as Job's dream interpreter. One big problem, though, God does declare Job righteous before these witnesses when we get down to chapter 42. And by the way, if you didn't realize, that invalidates Elihu's whole argument here. In chapter 34, Elihu continues blasting Job, verse 1. Elihu further answered and said, Hear my words, you wise men, give ear to me. You who have knowledge, for the ear test words as the palates taste food. Let us choose justice for ourselves. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinks scorn like water, who goes in company with the workers of iniquity? and walks with wicked men. For he has said, It profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. We see in verse 2 that Elihu is addressing more than just Job when he says these words, Hear my words, you wise men. Give ear to me, you who have knowledge. Here he accuses Job of having said, I am righteous, in verse 5. Well, Job actually did say that in chapter 12, verse 4, chapter 13, verse 18, and chapter 27, verse 6. As for the remainder of verse 5, where he says, but God has taken away my justice, it would appear that Job had said that also in chapter 27, verse 2. So, in essence, Job had said on those occasions that he was innocent, and was being treated unjustly, at least that's the way Elihu heard it. However, we don't find in any of Job's speeches where he declares himself to be without transgression, which Elihu asserts in verse 6 here. He distorts a bit of one of the monologues by Eliphaz when he asserts in verse 7, what man is like Job who drinks scorn like water. What Eliphaz had actually said in Job chapter 15 verse 16 was the following, How much less man, who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water. Job had defended himself in chapter 21 by pointing out that sometimes the wicked do so prosper. Elihu capitalizes on that statement and distorts it in verse 8 when he accuses Job of hanging with these wicked people 
And in verse 9, Elihu asserts that Job had said, For he has said, It profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. How's that for twisting a man's words? Elihu then takes off on the consequences of being wicked, down through verse 30. That brings us to chapter 34, beginning with verse 10, where Elihu presents his shallow solution, verse 10. Therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. For he repays man according to his work and makes man to find a reward according to his way. Surely God will never do wickedly, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth or who appointed him over the whole world? If he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, All flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to the sound of my words. Should one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is most just? Is it fitting to say to a king, you are worthless, and to nobles you are wicked? Yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor. For they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they die, in the middle of the night. The people are shaken and pass away. The mighty are taken away without a hand. For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. There is no darkness nor shadow of death, where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For he need not further consider a man that he should go before God in judgment. He breaks in pieces mighty men without inquiry, and sets others in their place. Therefore he knows their works. He overthrows them in the night." And they are crushed. He strikes them as wicked men in the open sight of others. Because they turned back from him and would not consider any of his ways. So that they caused the cry of the poor to come to him. For he hears the cry of the afflicted. When he gives quietness, who then can make trouble? And when he hides his face, who then can see him? Whether it is against a nation or a man alone, that the hypocrite should not reign, lest the people be ensnared. For has anyone said to God, I have borne chastening, I will offend no more? Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Should he repay it according to your terms, just because you disavow it? You must choose, and not I. Therefore speak what you know. Men of understanding say to me, wise men who listen to me. Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without wisdom. Oh, that Job were tried to the utmost, because his answers are like those of wicked men. For he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. Well, and of course, Elihu points out, man is evil. Elihu spends the rest of the chapter saying so. Here's Elihu's solution in verses 31 and 32. He says, For as anyone said to God, I have borne chastening, I will offend no more. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Here's what he's saying. He's saying there's no harm admitting you've sinned. Just admit it, confess it, and put it behind you. Now, how is his speech different from Job's other three friends? However, to Job, admitting to wrongdoing without having committed wrongdoing, well, that's to forfeit one's integrity in his thinking. Now, lest you think that Elihu has some merit in his speech, let me bring your attention to verses 35 to 37. 
These three verses clearly destroy Elihu's credibility as his statements are dead wrong. Remember, we know why Job is experiencing this trial, and obviously Elihu has no clue. Look at the accusations made against Job in verses 35 to 37. In 35, he says, Job speaks without knowledge. In 36, he says, Job's answers are like those of wicked men. In verse 37, he says, Job adds rebellion to his sin. And also in verse 37, he says, Job multiplies his words against God. Now, a case can be made from Job's speeches that he certainly lacked knowledge. I'll stipulate to that. And I suppose that Job's contention that wicked people do so prosper sometimes might have been construed by his audience to mean that he was somehow justifying the wicked, although that's not at all what he actually said or meant. However, the accusation by Elihu that Job adds rebellion to his sin, well, that's just plain old ignorance speak right there. We know from chapters 1 and 2 that there's no accuracy in that statement whatsoever. Furthermore, to make the accusation against Job that he multiplies his words against God, well, that's just a vicious attack on Job's integrity. Elihu is wrong, wrong, wrong. And so Elihu goes on for two more chapters. This monologue continues on into Job chapter 35. Now, here's a lesson on counseling. You need to make certain that your motivations for giving counsel are correct, not for selfish purposes. Some people just like to hear themselves talk to tickle their own egos. Elihu had already admitted that his need to vent his reactions was, well, that was his motivations for speaking. He said so back in chapter 32, verses 19 and 20. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.